Sergio Armati led UBS for almost a decade until 2020. Then, in a surprise twist, he returned to the top job in April of last year. Did you ever think he'd be here? No. How can you think that? His new priority? To maneuver the bank's controversial takeover of Credit Suisse and help avert a global banking crisis. For European banks, the real question will be, are they able to operate in a sustainable way? How will this risk change the business? I'm Sarah Eisen, and this is my interview with Sergio Armati from the World Economic Forum in Davos. Sergio, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure. Always good to have you. You know the number one question I'm sure you're getting here is, how's the integration going? Integration is doing well. Uh, 2023 was uh, about uh, stabilizing uh, the bank, uh, the clients, uh, the internal, our people, and uh, setting uh, the first wave of restructuring, uh, um, not only uh, planning for the legal entity mergers, but also uh, planning for the IT integration. It's a huge uh, task. Uh, and, uh, and also starting to plan for the next three years what it means uh, in terms of uh, value creation, how we deliver uh, this. So 2024 is now again getting into the more operational part. Harder so work? Harder work. Uh, it's, uh, the analogy I, I heard was uh, like uh, being in a tunnel. Uh, we know, we see the light. Uh, we know we're going to get out, but we are in the middle of the tunnel and we need to work hard. Are you still on track for... Yes. I had, I had of uh, you know to be honest I never uh, I expected a client uh, to come back uh, and also morale to come back quickly but I was impressed with the way uh, we turned around uh, the situation in 2023 and there is a good momentum but uh, we need to keep uh, that uh, into 2024 the market's been incredibly optimistic about what you're about what you've done so far and where this goes yes the market is uh, is giving us uh, part of the credit for what we can create in terms of value. I always say uh, this is a price we need to win. You know, we need to work hard to earn uh, the value creation over the years. It's not a present, it's nothing, but the momentum is pretty good. And I do believe that we're going to create a unique uh, set of uh, value proposition, not only to shareholders, also to clients and, and, and our own people. More restructuring coming. More layoffs coming in 2024? It's inevitable that in the next uh, two, three years, uh, uh, some proactive layoffs will uh, need to happen. Uh, We also, uh, we are counting also on a a different mix of people. First of all, we are getting the benefits of uh, natural attrition. Uh, Demography, uh, it's unfortunately or fortunately helping us because the demographics of the uh, baby boomer uh, going into retirement in the next few years is helping. Uh, we also moving people in the organizations in different areas. and uh, But, of course, we're going to have also to go through some redundancies. We try to do it uh, with uh, the best possible way in terms of the social plan we put together is, uh, is, uh, is, is, uh, is attractive, and uh, uh, but it's painful still. It's painful. So I think one of the questions investors have is how tricky is it going to be you know, to walk and chew gum? You have to integrate the businesses and deal with... with doing that at the same time as focusing on on growth and planning strategies around. I know you want to grow in Asia, for instance, the wealth business, looking at new technologies like AI. How do you keep that focus on both? 
well, that's part of the job and, and not only my job, but also my colleagues in the executive board and the entire bank to try to isolate uh, as much as we can uh, the people facing clients with this uh, matter. Also try to make it as smooth as possible for clients to go through the, uh, the integration and the migration. Because, you know, of course, uh, just to give you an example, we have at Credit Suisse around 3,000 uh, um, IT applications. We're going to keep only 300. So we're going to have a huge migration of clients into the UBS uh, systems, and we need to do it in a smooth way. So by, and how do we do it? We try to put as fewer people as possible to focus on integration and let the rest of the people take care of clients. And there are enough challenges out there from the macro front, uh, macroeconomic, geopolitical front. So we need to stay close to clients and we can't allow the integration to distract us from that. Talk about the, the challenges and what impact you're seeing on client behavior and client decisions. Uh, well, of course, uh, there has been a huge uh, shift in the last 18 months with rates going up, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, both a short-term uh, uh, money market, but also bonds investments has become a more of an attractive asset class than we had in the past. And, uh, and uh, the uncertainties, uh, particularly on the geopolitical front, has put a little bit of uh, uh, questions around uh, clients' confidence. Uh, uh, we do expect for this, for this year uh, uh, still a f fairly challenging environment. So I think that uh, the market, in my point of view, uh, is still complacent about uh, the you know central banks uh, cutting rates and uh, and is still too complacent about the inflation coming down. And therefore, we will see uh, volatility uh, in in financial markets, which may become an opportunity also to to step in and and and. Uh, pick up some good opportunities, both on the credit front, but also on, on the equity side. You don't think that we're going to see a series of rate cuts this year from major central banks? I, this is too much of a consens consensus for my taste at this stage, and, uh, and it's probably m more what we wish for than what we uh, should really plan for. And I have to say that uh, the opportunity cost for uh, being wrong is fairly limited. And partly resting on the idea that the last mile of inflation is going to be trickier to it's, bring it's down? Going, it's going to be trickier. And if I look at the recent uh, geopolitical developments, uh, you know, you, you see what's going on in terms of supply chain uh, potential disruptions. This is going to just get reflected back into inflation. Uh, so I, I'm not so sure that uh, uh, if you look at where we stand on inflation in the U.S., for example, at three plus percent inflation, it's still far away from the target. So getting the last one percent is not going to be as easy as uh, everybody thinks but i hope i'm wrong and actually i do hope i'm wrong but i can't plan for that inflation expectations look pretty good on that front right they've come down yes well but again we are still 50 percent above the target Coming up on CNBC Leaders. Our value proposition in the U.S. is not to be per se number one in the U.S. It's to be the most global uh, wealth financial institution. I'm Sarah Eisen, and this is CNBC Leaders from the World Economic Forum in Davos. Here's more of my one-on-one -on -one interview with UBS CEO Sergio Ermati. You're growing your business in the U.S. 
especially in, in wealth. You're yes. chasing Morgan Stanley? We are a top five uh, player in the U.S. Uh, we are number one by far outside the U.S. And this is our unique value proposition when you look at our U.S. Uh, market. We do uh, uh, work on enhancing our capabilities. And, of course, we, we, we want to... Uh, uh, narrow the gap to the, the leaders in, in, in the U.S., but our value proposition in the U.S. is not to be per se number one in the U.S., it's to be uh, the most global uh, wealth uh, uh, financial institution and, in, in a sense, a specialized uh, player in wealth management. Is wealth management in the U.S. a growth business, or is it about chasing market share? Well, actually, it's a growth business. It's the largest business in, the, in, the, in terms of... Uh, share of wallets. Uh, if, you, if you go back, uh, which is a quite interesting uh, statistics in my point of view, because four or five years ago, the numbers of people that uh, with net worth above 100 million in the US was 12,000. And today it's 36,000. Yeah. So it's not just about market share, it's, va- it's, it's uh, wealth creation. And, and, and also the big shifts you see in the economy with uh, you know, in particularly from uh, uh, from the technology sector, uh, new millionaires, billionaires, wealth creations is giving us uh, both an opportunity to grow with the economy and to gain market share. China has also been a big strategic prerogative for you. What's going on there? Because there are questions about how strong the economies will grow this year. Yeah, Asia is still, from a secular standpoint of view, and China, a very important market. Uh, of course, they may grow instead of uh, 5%, 4.5%, 4%, no matter what, they still grow 4%. Uh, and uh, uh, also their wealth creation. And as you see also the demographic trends in, in, in China is quite impressive, the negative, impre- negatively impressive. But what do they do? They drive the necessity for uh, people to build up uh, savings, and invest both domestically and abroad. So I see uh, the opportunity for us in Asia in general, outside China, but also in China, to help investors to get into China and, and, and invest abroad. Do you think you have an edge over U.S. counterparts there just because of the geopolitical complicated relationship between U.S. and China? No, I don't think we have a hedge uh, other than uh, being, uh, of course, uh, from a geopolitical standpoint of view, Switzerland is not big enough to be relevant. Uh, so that's a better position to be. But at the end of the day, we do uh, a work uh, uh, based on our capabilities, not based on geopolitical power. Uh, and uh, we are able to compete with the best, uh, uh, being U.S. firms or not U.S. firms. And... Uh, you know, our mandate is to stay out of politics, not to get into politics. But with a big investment and a, and a focus in growing the business in Asia, it might eventually be inevitable. True. But if you look at uh, the tensions uh, from a um, geopolitical standpoint of view, they seem to be more around defense and technology than financial institutions. So I do think that uh, there is still room for growth without getting into the, you know, the political debates. What about the health of the European banking sector as a whole? I mean, it's hard to believe we came off of a year where we saw banks fail in the U.S., Silicon Valley, and then, of course, the the rushed merger where you were brought back from the soccer field to to combine Credit Suisse and, and UBS. Are we in a healthy place right now? Well, if you look at uh, what happened uh, in, in, in March, it's clear that in the U.S., uh, the sector that was most vulnerable was the sector that was allowed to uh, operate 
uh, with standards that were well below the standards applied to the large, the so-called GC fees, the large banks. And if you look at Europe, uh, uh, the Credit Suisse case was a very much idiosyncratic case. So to answer your question, for me, it's crystal clear that the uh, post-financial crisis, the regulation that has been implemented was strong and credible to make uh, uh, the system uh, 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 resilient in such a stress scenario. So I do think that uh, the resilience is proven. Now, for European banks, the real question will be, are they able to operate in a sustainable way with results that achieve, at the very least, cost of capital? That's the big question. And what's the answer? The answer is that it, it will take probably a more dynamic and, uh, and uh, um, positive uh, developments from the economic front. Banks cannot really grow and prosper if the underlying economy is not working. They're cyclical. Banks are helping the economies to, to, to prosper, but banks also help, uh, need, you know, uh, the economy is, is, a, is a... And in, in that sense, Europe is not necessarily call it best in class in uh, economic growth and then there is still a lot of overcapacity in Europe in the banking sector. You expect a recession this year in Europe? Probably not a recession but a very very uh, you know very modest uh, to almost irrelevant uh, growth. Which is why there are high hopes for ECB easing. Yes but the inflation we go back to the beginning yeah. of this discussion inflation is still quite sticky and uh, and I do think that preserving the purchasing power of uh, people is more important than avoiding at any cost uh, a, a recession. Yeah, and also their single mandate. So yes. priority there. Coming up on CNBC Leaders. Regulators should some, from time to time admit that they are not perfect and actually insisting that uh, more capital, more liquidity, more regulation is the answer. I'm not so sure it's going to help the economies to prosper. What about regulation and how it takes shape? There have been a lot of complaints in the U.S. from the big banks about Basel III endgame. Well, look, you know, of course, uh, I do understand some of those complaints. Uh, You know, on the other end, we have been applying Basel III very diligently uh, in in Switzerland and and, and in general, uh, UBS uh, specifically. And in Europe, uh, I do understand that in the U.S., uh, some of this Basel III may be in conflict and create a double whammy, you know, in addition to... Uh, the U.S. Uh, specific regulation. Uh, I, I do think that uh, it's time for regulators and, and in general to uh, pause and think about what happened and also think that uh, like banks and bankers have been uh, the vast majority uh, constructive and uh, self-critical about uh, what we did wrong during the financial crisis and post the financial crisis, Regulators should some, from time to time admit that they are not perfect and actually insisting that uh, more capital, more liquidity, more regulation is the answer. I'm not so sure it's going to help uh, the economies to prosper. And ultimately help the banks become long-term investments, which is the Jamie Dimon argument. Of course, but if you look from a, a, a regulatory standpoint of view... That's not their prerogative. <laughs> That's not the prerogative, is to have financial stability, but also making sure that banks can function and support the economies. And, and some of the regulation that we are seeing now, and some of it, of the existing one, is intentionally or not intentionally creating actually the contrary 
of what well, should be the scope. Will hurt economies, right. you think? Yes, well, or definitely not allowing the economy to prosper as they should. Is that the case in Switzerland, Swiss re- regulations? For the time being, not, uh, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't rule out that a wave of populism and, and, uh, and uh, may uh, prevail in, uh, in the debates. Uh, we will try to you know, contribute to a fact-based discussion. To prevent... To prevent further regulation, excessive uh, emotional regulations, and uh, and and not uh, that is not focused on addressing idiosyncratic issues. And and again, I think that all the parties that were involved in the fantastic uh, operation over the weekend, because it, Switzerland was very effective in 72 hours to address an issue, but the postmortem. Uh, uh, we need to go through a postmortem in which all the actors take responsibility for, for what happened, so including regulators. Right now it's just blamed on Credit Suisse and the culture there. Which is definitely not just the case. I mean, uh, there is, uh, something like that cannot happen just by one single actor or, you know, just, you know, the bank itself uh, failing, but uh, the system has failed, shareholders failed, rating agencies failed, but also, in my point of view, uh, regulators uh, have been probably uh, uh, should go back and really relook at what they did. Which is sort of ironic, just because Basel's the banking regulatory capital of the world. Yeah, but uh, Basel, when well implemented, like in the case of UBS, uh, translated into the bank being part of the solution instead of being a problem. The, speaking of the. AT1 bonds, you know, that were very controversial at the time where the bondholders got wiped out in Credit Suisse. I noticed that you did a, a recent share sale. You tested the water. What did you find? Well, it was, uh, we just Bond didn't sale. test it. We also drank the water. And raised a lot of money. Uh, we, we got $36 billion of demand for uh, three... That's surprising? Uh, yeah, surprising. Well, I mean, we knew that we had uh, the credibility to, to do it, uh, but uh, uh, in a sense it was probably... One of the best moments of 2023 in terms of the testament of the confidence uh, of investors on UBS. So, yeah, positively surprised. Should the, all those people, all those investors have lost money with the Credit Suisse bonds? Well, should they have been wiped out? I, I think that uh, uh, if, they, uh, if they would have read carefully the, prospect, the prospectus uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the conditions attached to the bond, which was paying... A, a, you know, a, a relevant premium above uh, 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 risk-free uh, risk uh, rates. You know, uh, in a in a situation like this one, you you get uh, wiped out. Last time we spoke at the Economic Club, you told me that you plan to stay through 2026 to finish this job. At least until the end of 2026, because I do think that uh, uh, you know uh, the the integration will be completed. Uh, broadly speaking, by the end of 2026. So my commitment to the board and, uh, is to stay until uh, the integration is completed. But uh, and What sort of bank do you want to leave? I sh- I, I'm a little bit of a scaramantic person, so, but I can <laughs> say that uh, I wish I leave a bank that after I left continued to prosper and does even better, like last time. And part of that is finding a successor. And we'll help the board to find a number of candidates, but at the end of the day, it's the board decision. It's not my decision. How has it been getting talent? It's good. There is always a lot of talents, but, you know, the world is becoming more and more specialized. You know, the, the real issue about finding talents to work in, in 
big and complex businesses is to have people that are agile and flexible and fungible in the way and they have different backgrounds. So uh, uh, grooming uh, our people to think in different ways, to manage different businesses is very important so that they are prepared. Well, part of my question also I'm wondering is about just the culture because it's one of your big, it's got to be one of your biggest challenges. Taking a UBS culture and a Credit Suisse culture, combining them. I don't know if you want any of the Credit Suisse culture. Uh, of course. There are very good elements of the Credit Suisse culture. I mean, uh, Credit Suisse people, the vast majority, I mean, you know, 99 plus 9% uh, are, are good people. Uh, you always have, like in any part of society, uh, bad people. And, and believe me, at the end of the day, people, they want to be, people are doing what they get told to do. So from the top, the culture gets developed at the top of any organizations. People follow what they hear or what they expect or what they believe their bosses want. So what we need to do is to address the culture top down and tell people what they are expected to do. And the vast majority of the people are following that. So I'm very confident. Probably part of why you were brought back to do this job, right? Well, yeah, probably is that one, but I'm... Uh, Did you ever think you'd be here? No. How can, I, how can you think that? No, I, I was that. Probably was hard to, you know. It would have been an interesting hard to bet uh, on, right? So probably a good payout. Sergio, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time. We so appreciate it thank here you. in Davos, Switzerland. This has been a special presentation of CNBC Leaders with UBS CEO Sergio Armati from Davos, Switzerland. I'm Sarah Ivan. Thanks for watching.